on the box set, a podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels, and spin-offs to one-off films that don't have any. I'm Harry, and joining me as always is John. Hello. And uh, it was your choice this week. What are we doing this week, John? This week we are doing The Fifth Element. Yeah, it's a good one, because, mm. uh, well, I think I've seen this before. You <laughs> seem to be in two minds about that, yeah. Yeah, I'm not too sure, because I watched it again uh, two days ago, obviously in preparation for this, and I remembered one scene from the start with uh, Chris Tucker, like his opening scene. I remembered that perfectly, and I remember the very closing scene, and nothing else seemed even remotely familiar. Is it possible, that because this is something that you do, that you fell asleep the first time <laughs> you watched it? Because I've seen many yeah. films of you where you've fallen asleep and missed like the middle of it, so yeah, yeah. Maybe I can see how you might have done that. Right. Although it's such a loud film, it's kind of a hard film to sleep through. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's. What, I was surprised. I, I think maybe you didn't see the whole thing because this really feels like a film that has so many memorable things about it that you wouldn't yeah. easily forget. Like there's loads of films I see that I completely forget about immediately, but this one is not one of them. This film is insane. Well, this one, I uh, I kind of struggled to work out what was going on. Mm-hmm through most of it because like it started with a scene that threw me off initially because i just like i said i had no memory of it <laughs> oh the pyramids yeah thing yeah the, yeah, yeah. With the amazing like, jim hensony alien looking things well it, that's the thing it all seemed very sort of serious and like well made and then suddenly these <laughs> aliens come out look like they're from uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy <laughs> and it, it threw me off a little bit there and then i was like well okay so what's going on and then there was this massive black sphere that I, yeah, I, I just never really understood it. What was the what was the point in that sphere? What was it doing? Oh, I have no idea. But that, that's <laughs> <laughs> but that's that I was going to say. That's what I like about this film. What I love about this film is it doesn't feel the need to explain itself. Mm-hmm. It like just drops you in the middle of something and goes, "Well, come along for the ride." Yeah. Like, you know, it doesn't. If this film was made today, it would be three hours long and it would be all <laughs> exposition and it would be an absolute fucking nightmare. And it would be an open ended plot. Yeah, it would exactly. Yeah, yeah. I like the fact this film was actually written by Luke. Bas- the director Luke Besson uh-huh. wrote this film when he was a teenager. Okay, and that and and got the chance to make it at the age of 38 yeah. later in life having had successful previous films like Nikita and um, Leon mm-hmm. uh, and that makes complete sense to me that this film was scripted by a teenager because it yeah. has so that vibe of like and then this happens and this happens and this happens and then aliens yeah. and wow yeah. it's got it's so <laughs> frenetic and so full of and, and yeah just mad it also kind of reminded me of a kind of a 90s version of Doctor Strange I feel like Doctor Strange did a similar thing oh, yeah. to me yeah. in the set, possibly because I don't have that background I think a lot of Marvel films now kind of assume that the audience has some kind of engagement with the source material. Yeah. Whereas this film has no source material. This is an original piece. But yeah, where Doctor Strange, for me, having not read the comics or really followed that universe as closely as maybe you have, mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going on for huge chunks of that film. But it just kind of, it just kind of took you along with the ride anyway. And it was very visually similar to this. It was very visually engaging enough that mm-hmm. you, could, you could buy into it. It wasn't a problem for me. Whereas other mm-hmm. films like Suicide Squad, I would watch and have no idea what was going on and it was actively detracting from the film because I was just like, <laughs> yeah. what is going on? Uh, whereas this, uh, yeah, I, have, I I could not tell you the plot of this film. Really mm-hmm. couldn't sum it up. Like what the stakes were, yeah. what was going on, why. Well, I mean, the, the, the stakes were fairly obvious. Well, the stakes were kind of the world is going to end up. Yeah, in yeah. that sense, it's very basic stakes. But then also... Know, individual what, stakes. I, I, I never understood uh, Gary Oldman's... Motivation? Yeah, motivation. No, like, totally, because surely he would die too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just like, oh, I just want to destroy things because then <laughs> things that get better... Gary Oldman was doing once again some fabulous costume and accent work. He was, yeah. I, yeah. What, what, what was his accent supposed to be? Because it, it was very hillbilly at the start. Yeah, it felt maybe Texan, but it did kind of go Texan at different points. I, th- I think it took a good old road trip around the southern American states. Yeah. To be honest, like it did the whole Bible Belt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Life, which you so nobly serve, comes from destruction, disorder, and chaos. Now take this empty glass. Here it is, peaceful, serene, boring. But if it is destroyed, look at all these little things. So busy now. Notice how each one is useful. What a lovely ballet ensues, so full of form and color. Now, think about all those people that created them. Technicians, engineers, hundreds of people who will be able to feed their children tonight so those children can grow up big and strong and have little teeny-wing children of their own and so on and so forth. Thus, adding to the great chain of life. Water. Fruit. You see, Father, by creating a little destruction... A cherry. I'm, in fact, encouraging life. In reality, you and I are in the same business. Cheers. And his hair that just looked like half of a Mr. Whippy ice cream, like on, yeah, half, it did, on it? half his head. <laughs> and do you remember that scene where he's randomly stroking some kind of weird, is it a mouse or a hippo or some kind of weird alien creature? Oh yeah, that. And it gets, it's weirdly sexual and bizarre. Yeah, um, that was, because it was just like round his neck and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was so out of nowhere. Well, Have I mean, you, you did see that, that animal before because it was on his desk yeah. uh, with that first scene, but... <laughs> Oh my god, what a film. Yeah, but that's what I like. <laughs> I, I love that. I love the fact that the film has so many strange little quirks and things that happen for no particular reason. And, yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, have you seen any of Luc Besson's other films? No, I haven't. Well, have I, I might have done, but... The maybe. main ones are Nikita and Leon. I actually thought oh, he did... Leon. Oh, you have seen Leon. So yeah. again, that's a classic Gary Oldman performance. Where, yeah. Yeah. And he did this actually as a thank you for Leon. He didn't actually... Yeah. He, he actually said that he hates this film. He well, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can understand why. Uh, but he, he, Leon was a big role for him. And then also Luc Besson... Uh, funded a film he made called Nil by Mouth. Um, yeah. So he did. The, he basically had to do this film. He, he owed Luke Besson a favor. Yeah. So that's why he did this film. But yeah, Leon's really, really good. And again, I think the connection between the two is very much Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. Since this, I thought I, I assumed he'd done more notable films. He hasn't actually done that many memorable films. He did a film with Scarlett Johansson called Lucy, which mm-hmm. got terrible reviews but made loads of money. I don't know if you knew. Yeah, saw I it. did watch that. It was awful. Yeah. Well, there's a Lucy two coming. So it must have oh, pleased great. someone. Uh, well, it's because Scarlett Johansson. People like mm-hmm. her. Yeah, well, true. She seems to be box office. Yeah. Another thing about this film is, I kind of felt like if the, if this film wasn't so full of recognizable, famous English language people, mm-hmm. I would assume this was a foreign language film that had been dubbed or something. <laughs> it really has that vibe, you know, that, that kind of weird foreign. I think if this film was in French or or I don't know Spanish or whatever, yeah, you would you'd buy into it more. You'd be like, oh, well, this <clears> is for, this is world cinema. World cinema is weird, you mm-hmm. know. In that kind of the lobster dog tooth kind of you know sense, yeah, uh, where you, you just accept things that happen in foreign films that you don't accept in English films. So, and I didn't realise that uh, Mila Jovovich has done other stuff other than Resident Evil. Yeah, I think this was a, a happy big, surprise. Yeah, this is a big breakout role for her, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, some of the names in this film are ludicrous. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the names of things. Again, this was where it felt really teenage boy e because even by the standards of sci-fi, like the planet they go to is called Flostron. <laughs> There's a character called Diva Pavalaguna. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, just, like that. Yeah. it's just absolutely ludicrous. Uh, so, what did you think of Bruce Willis in this film? I, I thought he w- he was really good. Mm. Uh, he was a lot more upbeat than he is in some of his other films. Although he was very much the same character as Die Hard. Yeah, because there, there was even a point where he was like, "I'm on vacation," and I was <laughs> like, "Well, that's that's got to be a callback." Or yeah, call I, I feel like he would really grounded this film as much as a film like this can be grounded because mm-hmm. he was very, very deadpan to everything. Mm-hmm. Everything that happened, he was like, you know, all this ludicrous stuff would be going on. He'd be like, mm, all right. He never really like freaked out because all the other characters were playing at such a heightened level, especially yeah. like Mila Jovovich and Chris Tucker were all playing at this very like 
hyped up. Yeah. The fact that he was just didn't rise to that level and kept it very deadpan and very Bruce Willis, as you mm-hmm. say, very diehard, really worked well because it stopped the film from being too much. Yeah. Because yeah. the times in this film was almost too much. Definitely. Yeah. I would say whenever Chris Tucker is on screen, the film is too much. Uh, I, I did really enjoy his opening scene because that was just, mm. it was so smooth and well done and it just really sort of made you... I don't know, I really liked the character, just because he was entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. And it was his thing, he was an entertainer. The bits that I didn't like him so much were when uh, there, w- there was a gunfight, mm-hmm. and he was in it, and he was just sort of panicking the whole time. And He really felt like Jar Jar Binksy to me. <clears throat> he did, yeah. Really like that shrill, like overly animated, over the top. And that's kind of Chris Tucker's whole shtick. Yeah. A lot of the films he did, he did Rush Hour with Jackie Chan, and mm. there was a time when he was like being touted as a new Eddie... Murphy. I almost mm-hmm. said Eddie Redmayne, yeah. which would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he was being touted as kind of the successor to Eddie Murphy in yeah. that kind of, you know, very high, very physical comedian, very energetic. Yeah. But then a few people just kind of got sick of him because they realised that was kind of all he can do. And mm-hmm. he kind of he really has dropped off the radar in recent years. So yeah, I found him a bit too much in this film. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I have no fire. I, mean, I have no matches. I see nothing matches. I have no matches. I, I saw smoking. If I knew, I mean, father, you smoke. We need some. Get some matches, matches. We need some fire. We're gonna die. I did enjoy the costumes. The costumes were amazing. Yeah, I've, especially uh, Chris Tucker's costume. Yeah, that was the best thing about Chris they, Tucker's character was the yeah. shit he had on. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, is that a dressing gown? Is that a towel? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what's yeah. he wearing? Because the, the costumes in this film were done by a famous French designer called Jean-Paul Gaultier. Okay. And I really feel like he got this job. I was mm. like, okay, this is for me. <laughs> this is, <laughs> I am going to have my day and yeah. I am just going to do it all. And I think they just wrote him a blank check and were like, Jean-Paul Gaultier, costumes, do what you want to do. And they just said yes to everything because it was just so over the top. Mm. And again, I liked the fact that this film, because it is... It's not cheap. It costs a lot of money to make, but because it's from the era that it's from, the nineties, mm-hmm. it doesn't. It's not all CGI, and it's all practical effects work, all yeah. of it. And so that means, from the costumes down to the even the even the aliens, which do look very creaky and Jim mm-hmm. Hensony. Yeah, like you do. said, third, not third, but from the sun. Um, the film My Douglas Adams. Um, oh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, I felt it was more. It was kind of like that, but it was also kind of like all the, the old Jim Henson. 80s like the dark crystal or um yeah stuff like that. it certainly did feel like that a lot more creature workshoppy kind of stuff and i find them easier to look at and just mm-hmm. picture them as well not picture them, but just imagine that they are an actual real being mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's easier to look at them and do that than it is for a, a badly cgi 100 percent, 100 percent. so even though you could really almost see the creaks and the strings and the pulleys mm-hmm. and the levers that were moving them along i can still totally buy into that it might be a nostalgia thing or it might just be as you say because at least it is a thing rather than characters reacting to a green screen mm, yeah but yeah i really really enjoyed all of that so, and then the Evans is also in this movie. Did you notice that? I did, yeah, yeah. but I wasn't sure if it was him or not. It was, because it's such a small role. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so bizarre. Yeah, maybe just <laughs> I had to look at it up afterwards. Yeah. But I mean, uh, on the whole, yeah. did you enjoy it or not? Uh, yeah, I did enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, I really did enjoy watching this again. Okay. Um, much more than uh, Super Mario. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't take much beating, really. No, that, but, that uh, we set the bar nice and low, and then we were yeah. just inching our way up. Um, I also like how uh, we've just gone from doing two Oscars episodes to one of the least classy films that we could watch. <laughs> <laughs> this film did win an Oscar, actually. Like, did it? Something like... Yeah, it won sound editing. Okay, so that, sure. Uh, I think it should have been, I don't know off the top of my head whether it was nominated for any more, but I feel like costume design, 100%. Oh, yeah. Should have been nominated for that. Uh, but yeah, maybe acting and screenplay, not so much. But uh, <laughs> yeah. 
also this film made a lot of money. Like you'd think, really? you look at this film and think, oh, this must have been a disaster. Mm-hmm. But actually, this is why I'm surprised there was no sequel. This is one of the reasons I chose this. I'm quite surprised mm-hmm. that nothing ever came of this. Although that happened a lot in the 90s. There's actually a lot of 90s films that made a load mm-hmm. of money that just, for whatever reason, didn't get picked up for more. And people, maybe people just had more, dig- more dignity then and didn't feel the need to remake everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this film was made for like 90 million, which was a lot in the 90s. Yeah. It made back over 260 million. So it really, problem, really yeah. made a lot of money. It was a mm-hmm. number one box office hit in America. It was, it was huge, huge hits. But yeah, it's, it's a strange one. It's very divisive, even at the time and to this day. It's either, div- uh, either considered one of the best or the worst sci-fi films of all time. You'll find people who will make a strong case for both, which I like. I love a divisive film. I can't see why it's one of the worst sci-fi films of all no, time. No, I mean, neither. I don't yeah, think that's well too harsh. I guess because it is so aggressive that maybe people just, for certain people, it would just be a complete turnoff, right? Because it's, well, so it's a bit too zany. But then you look yeah. at like Paul, Paul Verhoeven films. Mm-hmm. And well, he's divisive too, though. Yeah, but I just think of his film. I can understand why people would say his films are bad. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, but with this one, not so much. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't think his films are bad, but no. just it, it's easier to see because they're just a bit too bad special effects and a bit too zany, whereas this one's good special effects, but mm-hmm. it works. Yeah, for the time, I think this film looks really good. And I love the visual style of it. It has a very... Not just the costumes, but the whole thing has this very specific visual identity in, yeah. in this very... I love the fact that Bruce Willis kind of looks like a 90s gay club kid. Like, he's styling <laughs> with the bleach blonde hair and the, like, the wife beater tops and everything. Yeah, he looks yeah. really, really 90s gay. And uh, the, all of the characters are just dressed in such interesting clothes. And just, mm. yeah, visually, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, do you want to go first? I think it's your. Yeah, week to yeah, go first. I'll go first. So, so. Um, so, mine is called Odyssey of the Fifth. Odyssey of the Fifth. I Odyssey like it. Fifth, okay. Yeah. Um, it is a Western. Oh, okay. Set in the Old West. In, in in our world? Yeah, sure. Oh, sorry, is this a remake well, then or a sequel? Uh, remake. It's a remake, yeah, so yeah, it doesn't follow yeah. the plot from the original? No, no. It's got no, no relevance to the original. Okay. I'm interested it's, to see where this so, goes. But, uh, yeah, so I'm trying to do a classic Western here. Um, <laughs> well, it really lends itself to one, so why wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> there is a villain in this. There okay. is one villain. Um, I'm calling him the Man in Black. Okay. Um, which I feel I, that sounds familiar. <laughs> I will admit I did take that from Westworld. Yeah, but, uh, oh, whatever, I think it's good. And the man in black is filling the role that that black sphere was filling. <laughs> okay. So, so he, the inanimate black sphere is now a, a person. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so, is any, sorry, so is any of the original cast coming back or is this fresh, new? Fresh. Okay, cool. Yeah. So who's playing the man in black? Uh, nobody. Oh, it's a shadowy figure. Is it, is yeah. it like an effect? Yeah, it's pretty much, yeah. Okay, um, cool. Well, it's, 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 not a, it's not an effect. It will actually be somebody doing it, but it'll be nobody. Mm-hmm. Um this will be a faceless just thing mm-hmm. that you don't really you don't really see much of it uh he'll be riding a horse also black um, mm-hmm. just to sort of match be absolutely terrifying he'll be seemingly unstoppable as well mm-hmm. any opposition he gets he gets stronger from it exactly the same as how that that sphere works like they okay. fired a weapon it's also it kind of reminded me of that big giant black thing in lord of the rings trilogy the one that miranda rosso kills i am no man no man can oh, kill yeah. me is it like that is that the kind of thing you're looking at this kind of well, is he going to be verbal or is it going to be completely non-speaking? Non-speaking. Not okay, cool. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of mystery around this, which is unresolved. Um, okay. That you just, you don't ever find out the motivations for this thing. Exactly the same as in The Fifth Element. Okay. And the film opens with this man in black actually attacking a tribe of Native Americans. Okay. Because same era, right? Well, there's... Cowboys and Indians is a classic Yeah, yeah, thing, yeah, yes, so. yes, they're around, yeah. And if this if this is, isn't our world, it can be you know, anything. But if it's our world, then fair yes. point. Fair yeah. point. 
Yes, so we see him attacking a tribe of Native Americans mm-hmm. and essentially destroying the entire tribe. Okay. A few children manage to escape, mm-hmm. and they're, they are the only survivors. We see a little bit of their journey. They then arrive at another tribe. Okay. They explain everything that happened, and the elders have a meeting, and they start conjuring up some spirits. Okay. The spirits that they conjure up are of the five elements. Oh, okay. I'm seeing. I was wondering where this was going to connect. Like, yeah. saying, have you just done a Western and called a fifth element spinoff? Okay. <laughs> cool. So this is the spirits of the, it's in the original film, it's air, fire, wind and water. Yes. And love is the fifth one at the end. I was, gu- I was guessing soul. Soul. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. That's what I've gone with here. Okay. Well, cool. No, well, um, by all means. Yeah. So uh, they, they conjure up these spirits and they actually create five beings. Okay. Um, we have somebody who can uh, create rocks out of thin air. Okay. That's Earth. We have somebody who can breathe fire like a dragon. Mm. Somebody who can shoot water from their hands. And somebody who can blow with the strength of a hurricane. This is very Captain Planet. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have one final person, the fifth element. Okay. Oh, okay. Who can, by making physical contact with somebody, can take away all the evil within them. And okay. just free their soul. Okay. okay. No, I then thought to myself, who do I who do I cast to play these people? Obviously, the fifth element is going to be like the star of the show. They need to be somebody who's it because in the film here, Mila Jovovich was cast because she was perfect. That's what they kept saying yeah. about her was, oh, she's perfect in every way. Mm-hmm. And also, for the first time, I wanted to do a gender swap. Okay, just because why not? And so, the first person I could think of, and this is one you're not going to like, is Eddie Redmayne. Oh no! <laughs> as which one? <clears throat> as the fifth element. Oh, so he's the personification of perfection? Yep. <laughs> Ugh, disagree. Disagree. It, it was mainly... I mainly chose him because of your reaction. Okay. Oh, well. <clears throat> I thought that'd be fun. Um, and the other four, I cast Joanna Page, Matthew Horn, Ruth Jones, and James Corden. Do you recognise those names? Cast of Gavin and Stacey? Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's, good luck selling that to the studio. <laughs> well, I wanted a... Uh, I wanted, I wanted a comedy, com- comedy four-way um, okay. to try and sell it. And that's the, first, that's the first one I thought of. I thought it would be quite good. I thought of James Corden first and then thought, actually, you know, he's done comedy with three other people, so that'll, that'll do. Yeah. Okay. Aside from here, even for him, that's a good step up into the Hollywood ladder to be making a oh, yeah. film like this. But for any of the others, wow. Yeah. Ah, Ruth Jones. I could see her. Yeah, I could see her happening. Getting somewhere. She could be in some kind of British. Those other two, I feel like they've quit acting. Yeah. What What is Matthew Horn doing these days? No idea. No, vanished. He, like... he once did a sitcom, just him and James Corden. Yeah, it didn't like really work. Well, it was a sketch show, wasn't it? Yeah. And it just bombed and then, yeah. Yeah. I think they were trying to be a little brim, but mm. Anyway. Will Rob Brydon be cameoing at any point? Just well. oh, I, I really wanted to, but I couldn't find a character for him. Oh, fair um, enough. Shame. Mm, it would have been good. Yeah. Maybe you can think of a character at some point. Well, let's, oh, maybe he can be the Man in Black. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and so soon after they're created, the Man in Black actually then has tracked down the kids that ran away and has come to this tribe. Mm-hmm. The tribe is then under attack by this, it's just a Man in Black. They can't really do anything. They can shoot their arrows at him. They can do stuff like that, but nothing happens. The five elements then start trying to use their powers against him, but they're very unfamiliar with their powers. They don't really know what to do, how to do it. And you have a good bit of comedy in this battle, but ultimately they lose, but they do still get away by the skin of their teeth. Okay. We don't know what happens to the tribe. That's We just don't see. The story is now from the point of these five elements. So are we playing this film for laughs in terms of the battle scenes um elements of it yeah. but i guess the original so one it's not you wouldn't in, in a way in a way that the avengers has sort of light humor okay. here and there well like, the, the, the little quips the actual film the fifth element it, you wouldn't really say it's a comedy but there's a zaniness to it at all times yeah. it's always played at a somewhat comedic level so is it similar to that is what i'm trying to understand 
Yeah. Yeah, that kind of heightened kind of... I'm actually thinking about it. This could now be a good bit to have some uh, zany costumes as well. Mm, Those five elements just created. Yeah, yeah. Maybe one costume is made out of rocks, one that's made out of fire, like Hunger Games type thing. Okay, yeah. Stuff like that. The rock costume is going to be kind of heavy. I don't know. Mm. And the water costume won't leave much to the imagination either. Who's playing water? Which is which? which? (laughs) You said that Eddie Redmayne is perfection. So who's fire, earth, wind and water? Who is who? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Um, Who do you think? Ooh, um, I guess James Corbin should be rocks. James Corbin should be rocks. Yeah, okay. He can be ground. He can just be you know, mud, dirt. Yeah, heavy. Um, Fire. I think it's got to be Ruth Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. She's yeah. gonna go full. Is she gonna be like full Nessa, like Welsh accent? Oh yeah. She's really gonna be okay. Yeah, she's gonna be fire. Yeah, maybe we can have Matthew Hornby water. He'll just be constantly pissing himself. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. And then that leads you on a page as wind. Yeah, yeah just certainly some jokes there. Yeah, oh yeah, they write themselves. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and so they uh, they all get away. Uh, they're a little bit weakened, and like I say, they still don't really know how to use their powers. And well, they don't they don't know how to work as a team. Okay, they don't know how to do that, and they actually get caught by some bandits. Okay, uh, and while they're getting caught, uh, Eddie Redmayne's character does manage to touch one of the bandits, hence discovering his power. Mm-hmm. Of taking away somebody's evil, that bandit then lets him go, but not before he can let the others go. Um, or the other bandits team up on the good bandit and kill him. Essentially, okay. so those so uh, Gavin and Stacy crew <laughs> they are locked in a cage okay. um, on the back of a wagon, and they are being taken down south to be sold off as slaves. Okay, um, so these bandits aren't related to the man in black. These are just nope. generic just bandits. Generic bandits. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so now we just have Eddie Redmayne on his own. Uh, he saw what direction they went in, and he is now going to go on a quest or an odyssey, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, okay, time back to that title. Uh, down south to uh, try and catch up with them and free them. Okay. They have been taken down to um, a town called Red River Town. Okay. Where did that name come from? Uh, I looked it up. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's a real place? Uh, kind of. You'll see. Oh, okay, right. It's building something. Cool. Uh, yes, and so now we cut to we cut to Red, Red River Town before the slaves have arrived. Maybe I don't know; it doesn't really matter. And we then cut to Corbin Dallas, which is uh, Bruce Willis's character. Oh, oh, he's, he's he's coming back. Bruce Willis is not in. There. I'm just saying he he that was the character. Bruce. Oh, Willis so you've made. recast him? Yes. Okay, I've recast Bruce Willis as Felicity Jones. Interesting. Not okay. really Bruce Willis type, but no, but I, I'm all for that. Yeah. Cool. And so Felicity Jones, she's not a taxi driver because it's no. the Old West. Yeah. I've actually made her a cowgirl okay. working on her dad's farm. Um, now, I did lie a little bit earlier. Uh, her dad is Gary Oldman. Oh, okay. So he's coming back. Cool. It's not like a big role. He's just there. It's, it's, it's more of a cameo. It's a nod to the original. Yeah. Does he have the same hair? Yeah. Let's say that he's got the same hair. Maybe he's got like a burn on his face or something, which yeah. is accounting for the plastic bit of him. Why was he wearing a plastic hat? I don't know. None so, of that made sense to me, so but strange. I didn't. I didn't need it to. <laughs> yeah, it's Gary Oldman. <laughs> yeah, just um, accept it. And so we see her out tending a herd one day, um, and she's actually. Uh, we see her fighting off a pack of wolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. And we watch from this from Eddie Redmayne's perspective, who's just like spying on her from like behind a tree or something. Okay. Like they're both just quite young, you know, maybe late teens or something both playing that age I reckon both his actors can still play that age before you I, I strongly disagree that Eddie Redmayne can pull off late teens at this stage in his life with makeup how much makeup <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a lot of makeup okay nah. 
Yeah, and so we see Eddie Redmayne just spying on her. And so, wait, does that mean that the elements are playing their late teens as well? If they're all newly created. Because if you're that. telling me that Ruth Jones is playing, <laughs> is playing a woman in her late teens, I am 100% on board with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so Eddie Redmayne is quite impressed by how she can fight off these wolves. We see a bit of a, a bit of a sequence with her and her horse doing a few stunts, and we see she's good with a pistol, stuff like that. Just okay. general badassery kind of things. Okay. And he eventually goes over and introduces himself. And this is a bit of a story that I'm not that good at, where they then build a romance okay. and over the course of a while um <laughs> fall in love and okay. uh yeah does that happen on the road or does eddie redmayne just hang out for a bit falling in love with her? uh probably on the road okay yeah. that's it's easier to let, do let, let's say i was there on the back to on the way back to red river town okay and so uh she is now completely on board and she's going to help him because he knows that he needs help because he he couldn't fight when there were five of them he's not gonna be able to do it by himself she, he sees that she is really good at this sort of thing quick pit stop mm-hmm. what is eddie redmayne's character i know he's playing the mila jovovich substitute but does that mean he is in the same vein is he going to be playing this very kind of spaced out not quite like normal people or is he going to be i would more... say yeah, yeah certainly quite spaced out okay um but i'd say that all five of them quite spaced out okay so but his kind of naivete is what maybe draws her to yeah. him kind of. okay but he definitely speaks english okay he's not... not doing the lily lulu thing yeah no. which i did really enjoy actually. yeah yeah, yeah. And you, uh, what is your name? That whole thing's your name, huh? Do you have a, uh, a shorter name? Do you know, she created that, like, her and Luke Besson created that language together and really took it seriously and would speak in that language together. They were also having an affair. Yeah, they were also having an affair on set, though, so that might have been a. Oh, great! (laughs) (laughs) In fact, he was married. Sorry to interrupt. He was actually at the the time in a long-term relationship with the woman who played Diva Pavalaguna, hence her being in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he cheated on her, started a relationship with, and dumped her for Mila Jovovich in the middle of filming. Wow! So I bet that wasn't wasn't awkward in the slightest. (laughs) Yeah, because they had kids and everything. Oh God! Anyway, continue. Yeah. Um, So they're in love. I'm sorry, Eddie Redmayne and uh, Felicity Jones are in love on the road. Yeah, and so uh, they're going back into town. they they find the cage with the four other elements. Mm-hmm. Um, they they see that that's just in the slaver's yard, mm-hmm. whatever whatever you call it. I'm not too sure. And, oh, so uh, this is quite a big bandit collective. They have a whole camp, right? Yeah, so yeah. Okay. And yes, yeah, so they they then start forming a plan. They then see on the hill the man in black turn up. Okay. Turns out he's been tracking them down to try and get their power. Okay. Because it's quite impressive. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, they then have to free the slaves, fight off the man in black. That's okay. what, that's their plan. So before going into this, what they think is going to be an epic battle, they decide to get married. Just You're a traditionalist. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, sex before marriage in any of Harry's pl- plots. It's very much against it. <laughs> they go in, they do manage to free the slaves because she can fight, he can use his power a little bit. And so they managed to overcome the slavers. Overcome? Is that the right word? Yeah. yeah. Overpower, overcome. Yeah. O- overpower the slavers and release all the slaves, in fact. Okay. Um, including the Governor Stacy crew. Cool. And then a man in black shows up and they start a, a battle um, mm. with him, um, which is actually all six of them, including Felicity Jones. Oh, okay. Is she the sixth element? She's not the sixth element, though. No. Does um, she have any powers or is she just a good fan? No, she's, okay. just, she's, she's very much human. good okay. stuff. Uh, they then realise they actually need somebody to sort of command their little fight a little bit, and so they pick Felicity Jones to do that to mm-hmm. unite them as a team. Okay. The way that she unites them as a team is the man in black kills her. 
Oh, okay. And then... Oh, dramatic stakes, okay. Yeah, dramatic stakes. We'll, we'll see Eddie Redmayne just get oh. emotional as he does. Oh, no, widowed in the space of, like, 20 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it can happen. No, yeah, it happens frequently. Did Titanic do it? Did they get married in that? They didn't get married, no. They did have sex, though, which is... Always somebody has to die in that sex, kind of film. Same, with same yeah. thing, really. So, yeah, they were, they were common law yeah. married, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so after that happens, the, uh, the team unites, and they actually manage to overpower the man in black. Mm-hmm. Not to kill him, but manage to overpower him. He's pinned down. Eddie Redmayne walks up to him. Just as he's about to touch him... Man in Black breaks free from all the, the wind, the, the earth, fire, um, and stabs Eddie Redmayne in the chest. <gasps> Glorious. <laughs> At last, he dies. Uh, Eddie Redmayne does manage to touch him before mm-hmm. falling to the ground. Oh, dead. okay. And then we see we see this guy transform from black, everything, to just turning turn into a normal colour, and it's then revealed is Bruce Willis. Oh, so he can't he can't be Rob Brydon then. No, he can't oh, be Rob Brydon. Sad. Okay. And Bruce Willis is now free from all evil and he is now just a normal person um who looks around and he can see the damage that he's caused. Okay. He's How very, did he get he's, he's, to very, be a... he's very he's very emotional walks off into the sunset. That's okay. all we know. So we don't we never know how he became the shadow. Nope. Okay, fair enough. Oh, that's a much better name. Oh, sorry, then the man is like the shadow. I feel like the shadow is a thing too. Isn't the shadow like a uh, obscure shadow, Marvel person? The shadow is many things, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so uh, we now only have the four elements. We have the townspeople of uh, Red River Town. And they decide that because it was such a such a heroic thing that happened, um, these two people of now the same surname, they decided to rename their, ta- their town after their surname, which was Dallas. Oh, oh wow. And that's the end of the film. <laughs> That's a good, that's a strong ending. <laughs> yeah. Just throw in the foundation of the city of Dallas or the state of Dallas. Yeah, uh, why not? Yeah, no, city, it's city, it's not a state, it's city. Uh, that was good. Yeah. I was very engaged, engaged with that. That, was, yeah, that took really, some twists and turns. Was, I was quite happy with that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I don't really have any questions. I feel like, because I feel like a lot of times I know we try to say we have to justify all of our decisions, but again, mm-hmm. this is another film where because the plot is, of the original is so kind of gonzo. I yeah. think you can justify just being like, yeah, it, it, because reasons. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, okay. Well, that's uh, that's set a high bar, yeah. um, which I don't know if I'm going to be able to raise. So I had a real trouble with the name for my one this week. Yeah. Uh, so I just went with the fifth element, Mangalore Knights, which doesn't really okay. reflect the plot at all. It's just because the Mangalores is the name of one of the alien species and it was just one of the more ridiculous names. And it kind of sounds like Bangalore Knights. Okay, so Knights. is this a sequel? This is a sequel, yes. Sure. Okay, but it's a sequel that's gone a little bit meta. Okay. Because when I was watching this film, normally when I do, when preparing for our podcast, I'll be watching or rewatching a film, and I'll be thinking to myself, okay, what do I want to see more of this? You know, what, mm. what, how do I want to see this story develop? Yeah. Or what character do I want to see more of? What plotline do I want to see more of? Etc. This one that didn't really happen for me. Uh, this one I was thinking, all the main thought in my head was, how did this film get made? Like, okay. not in a sense that it's bad, but just because it is so crazy and so out there. And I, I just love the fact that the film there was a time in the 90s in particular, when films like this could exist and could get a huge budget and you could just mm-hmm. take these huge risks, which doesn't happen as often these days. So my sequel is a behind-the-scenes mockumentary about the filming of a sequel to The Fifth Element. This sounds complicated. It does get a little bit complicated. So the basic plot is that we, we start with a super fan of The Fifth Element. Okay. Um, so starts a, launches an kick, online Kickstarter campaign yeah. to uh, fund a sequel of the movie. You know how that's happened in a few films and TV series in the yeah, past? Like yeah. they did it with, um, what was that TV show that uh, Kristen, 
Kristen Fingy Majig from um, Kristen Frozen. Wig? No, from yep. Frozen, the girl who was in Frozen, who wasn't Adina Menzel. Uh, mm, she was in some. Yeah. Sh- anyway, she was on. Was it True Blood? It wasn't True Blood. She was in some show, detective show. It got kickstarted, and they made a whole film out of it. Okay. Anyway, so it's that basically. So the idea is a fan um, launched this Kickstarter campaign. So is this set in a world where the Fifth Element is a film? Yes, it's set in the real world in which the Fifth Element was just a film that came out in the nineties, and it's okay. got this huge cult following, which the original film does. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, this Kickstarter campaign ends up catching fire. It just becomes this sensation. And this is just kind of, we're going to employ a little bit of movie, ma- movie magic here because I know these kind of things happen quite a lot and they don't often really catch on. But this one, just for whatever reason, people have fond memories of this film. It becomes an internet sensation and it just raises millions and it gets a huge amount of press attention, basically. Okay. Millions and millions of these people who all these years have been carrying the secret fandom of the Fifth Elements are kind of woken up like sleeper secret cells. Secret fandom. Well, they've, you know, it's not been celebrated, you know, it's not one of those films like Star Wars where people, okay, this whole community, yeah. this subculture that people didn't even know existed just comes together and it's like, yeah, I love that film. I want to contribute yeah. to this. Okay. So it becomes a complete sensation. So so it raises millions. The film is, is um, greenlit, gets a huge budget from the studio because like, the market for this is great. And because it's become this media sensation as well, the entire cast and crew are forced to reunite because if they didn't, they would face this huge public backlash because mm-hmm. the public wants this. Mm-hmm. They really want this film to happen. Okay. So that means that the original cast and Luke Besson, the director and writer, who hasn't written a sequel, has no intention of doing a sequel, has now basically been backed into a corner where he has to make one. Yeah. And the entire cast and crew have to kind of come back and film it, whether they like it or not, because mm-hmm. their careers would suffer so much if they didn't, that they have to come back. So the reason that they kind of... So rationale... the cast and crew in this playing themselves? Yes. Oh, great. Yeah, I so... love films that do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is really about play, the, allowing the actors to kind of spoof their own public images. Okay. Because Bruce Willis has this reputation now of being this terrible monster. Yeah. Plays, of being a complete arsehole who's like really rude and uncooperative and just a really unpleasant person to mm-hmm. be around. So he can spoof that aspect of himself. So he doesn't really, he doesn't want to be here at all. He's really high maintenance. He's very Hollywood. He it just is very uncooperative, etc. Yeah. Uh, and then we have, so Mila Jovovich, as I say, was in real life, got with Luke Besson while filming The Fifth Element, mm-hmm. Mar- was married to him for several years, and then they split up. So is that going to be part of it as well then? Yeah, so that's in it. So now she's back making a film with her ex, who she detests. <laughs> um, but she's doing it. But the other thing with Mila Jovovich, the Jovovich character, is that she is slightly washed up. You know, she's, she's shooting this in between shooting scenes for Resident Evil 7, <laughs> which is a real film that really is happening. So yeah. yeah. You know, cause that, the thing with Mila Jovovich is she's great, but... It kind of feels like Resident Evil's all she has these days. Yeah, she's one of those. She's like t- stuck in this franchise of ever decreasing, you know. Yeah. But so, but the joke with her is that even though she makes these really terrible schlocky films, she takes her art. She's very thespian, and she takes her art and her characterization super, super seriously, you know. Because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about how she created the whole language in her head for the original film. That's the mm-hmm. kind of thing an actor who really gets a bit too method would do. Yeah. So the idea is that she is really approaching this like she doesn't want to be here but she's approaching this like it is a role i'm an actress i'm going to question motivation i'm gonna you know really throw myself into this which is a contrast entirely with bruce willis who just doesn't want to be there and is just doing it for a paycheck <laughs> yeah. so there's lots of in- immediate tension there and then we have chris tucker mm-hmm. who's also brought back in yeah real... i couldn't think of anybody for him for him to be in mine no maybe for the best I don't yeah he's um, put in a western yeah um so Again, in real life, Chris Tucker left the film industry for several years and is now a born-again Christian. Okay. So I thought, that's right for comedy. So <laughs> so in this, yeah, so he's a born-again Christian who now refuses to swear or do anything remotely sexually suggestive on screen. You have done your research. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
so that obviously contrasts hugely with the character he played in the first one, who's like you know hypersexed up and very yeah. flamboyant and yeah. swears all the time. So he's very uncooperative as well. He's also good friends with Mel Gibson, in my version. This is true. And he's always <laughs> pushing for Mel Gibson to get a cameo in the film somehow. And it's like, no, 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 we can't have Mel in the film. Okay. So that's, yeah. And that's also, that's just because Mel Gibson's a super religious weirdo. And, uh-huh. and, but also it's because the original film, the part of Bruce Willis's character, was originally offered to Mel Gibson, who turned it down. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. It would have been a very different film. Yeah. Um, bad, bad, so, yeah, I wanted to bring him. Really. He's not actually going to appear in this film, but I just wanted to reference that. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Ian Holm, the guy who we didn't talk oh, about yeah, in that one. Yeah. Yeah, Bilbo. Yeah. Bilbo's in this film. Yeah, that, that's the one that I, I had to look up, because, like, I know him from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Where's he from? Well, he's a lot younger in. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so... He's in this as well, but he is Ian Holm. The actor is now in like he's like eighty seven. He's getting yeah. on. Uh, so my thing with this is that he's now he's full like Bilbo at the ends of the Lord of Rings trilogy. Yeah. Like he's just like completely decrepit. Let's say he's wearing the exact same makeup. Yeah, and he's like really like you know he's just full on in the grip of you know uh, walking stick. Yeah, he's he's walking stick. He's kind of uh, dementia kind of. Yeah, and he actually thinks he's Bilbo because he spent years he's, <laughs> so much of the last part of his life just doing Lord of the Rings playing that character have a massive part in that he's in he's in a lot of them though you know he, he well I mean, still yeah it, it's his defining role of his later life yeah he, he gets asked a lot so yeah essentially he is he keeps the idea is that he they've kind of wheeled him out because they, they need to have the whole cast the, the, the fandom is so demanding of it being the original cast that mm-hmm. even though the fact that he's clearly not up to it he there's the studio has just strong-armed his like yeah guardian legal guardians to, like make him somehow be in this film is there anybody in this that they're putting motion capture on who are they who you'd struggle to put in motion capture. Like like, like, like trying to squeeze Al Pacino into one of those suits. Oh, I Imagine. see. Uh, it didn't occur to me, but yeah, sure. Let's do that with Ian Holm. Yeah. Let's, do, let's make Bilbo. Yeah. But the, my, my <laughs> thought with this, he's going to be like shooting scenes and he's just going to randomly start spouting Lord of the Rings dialogue. Okay. Yeah. And it's going to be really frustrating and tough. And uh, yeah. Uh, and so Gary Oldman obviously died in the original film. Mm. His character died in the original yeah. film. So, but because he's such a an integral. True method acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's not killed himself. <laughs> But he doesn't want to be, again, he doesn't want to be here. Uh, but he's been, again, the fans have kind of demanded it. So the idea is he's playing a clone of his original character. Okay. That's, oh, that yeah, that's, that's the slim justification. Yeah. Uh, but he, being Gary Oldman, he absolutely refuses to repeat an accent or look. Because he, he, he's never the same person twice in any film. Okay. So, so in this film, he insists on adopting a horribly offensive Jamaican accent. Like, <laughs> full-on Jamaican patois. <laughs> Okay, like okay. Ali G style, like yeah, and everyone's like, you can't, and you can't do this, but he refuses to, and he's in character. It's a bit tropic thundery, like he's in this character at every moment. He he never is Gary Oldman. He's always being Gary Oldman as mm-hmm. Jamaican character. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's him. So wait, is he even doing that when he's not on set? Even when he's not on set, just oh, all great. the time, he refuses to. And basically, the first half of this film is just a mockumentary, kind of in the style of The Office and Parks and Recreation, yeah. where it's not filmed like a film, it's filmed like a documentary, so we're seeing it through the eyes of another character, which is the guy, the character we're seeing it through the eyes of, is the guy who created, started the Kickstarter. Okay. And he's going to be played by Jack Black. Yeah. And he's like an adult, he's like an, an aged nerd, basically. Because yeah, yeah. I feel like, Jack rather Black's than have a good, young nerd... Good one there. Yeah, I want somebody who is a nerd who from, who would have seen the film when it first came out. Yeah. And it's obviously struck a chord with him. And he's become yeah. the face of this kind of, you know, movement of nerds who want to see this film he made. Mm-hmm. So as part of the marketing thing, the, the studio that have greenlit the film and plowed all this money into it have kind of forced the studio to allow him to be on set to film a behind-the-scenes documentary about the making of the film. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're watching. Okay. So we're watching a behind-the-scenes documentary about the making of Fifth Element 2. Yeah. And that means we can pick and choose how much we see. 
So there's going to be a lot of scenes of actors seeing them, them not knowing they're being filmed again in a very kind of Parks and Recreation way. Mm-hmm. So we'll see Bruce Willis, ha- you know, being having a complete meltdown. You know, where he doesn't know he's being filmed, and he's like, you know, flinging room temperature water across the room at, at like lackeys and all, all of that kind of stuff's going on. And so basically, the idea is that the entire casting crew treats Jack Black with utter contempt because mm-hmm. they don't want to be here. They've been forced to make this film that they don't believe in. Mm-hmm. They don't know why they're there, and so they just he's constantly walking around trying to film them, trying to get a, you know. Living his dream, but just being treated like complete shits by everybody. So he's yeah. constantly getting shot on. Um, so they're doing that. And um, and yeah, so that gets around the problem I had with thinking of a suitable plot, because we don't need to know. The, the, and the idea <laughs> so is that cool. nobody really knows what the plot is of this. They're just shooting mm-hmm. random scenes of the film. Okay. And it's never quite clear where it's going, what the plot is. And Luke Besson doesn't know. The actors are like, what the hell is going on? What mm-hmm. what, what is this film that we're making? Mm-hmm. Um, so... We're doing all that and we never really know. So it's just going back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that's the first half of the film. It's just a comedy mockumentary where people who don't know they're being filmed are being filmed. And again, it's just allowing all of the actors to send up their public personas and do all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Then halfway through, it takes a turn, as oh. a lot of my sequels do. Oh, okay. <laughs> then halfway through, in the middle of filming, it's interrupted by a genuine alien invasion. And, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, this is good. And it becomes like a Cloverfield style, like found footage horror. Ah, nice. Okay. So, nice. so because he's still filming. Yeah, yeah. Hey, but um, so the idea now is all of the characters have to react to this new situation. What are the aliens? Are they in the style of any particular alien? I'm building. Oh, that's um, good. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, so all of the characters have to react to this new situation in which real aliens have invaded the Earth and they are fighting for their lives. Okay? Yeah. And so, basically, what has happened is it turns out that these aliens have somehow seen the original movie like they've picked up on it and they think it's real yeah and they think and they now need the feel that they need the fifth element they need mm-hmm. the stones all of you know that save mm-hmm. the world because yeah. they have some kind of black hole threatening their world and they think it's the same thing yeah so they've traveled across the galaxy to basically demand the stones the fifth elements yeah so that they can take back to the home world and save them not realising that it's just a complete coincidence <laughs> and this is not going to help them, it's just props and shit. Mm-hmm. So the, the mission of the main cast now is that they need to get to the props department and find the props that are the fifth element, uh, the stones and stuff, to give to the aliens to just buy themselves some time. Because mm-hmm. like, there's nothing else they can do, you know, that's yeah. all they can think of to do. So this allows Bruce and Mila to 100% lean into their characters. Mm-hmm. So now Bruce Willis becomes... The character he plays in all his films, like he, he really goes method. He, now he, he's mm-hmm. Bruce Willis. He snaps out of his kind of you know lethargy mm-hmm. and becomes like diehard Bruce. He's like, okay, okay yeah. I'm, I'm kick ass. And this is because I miss Bruce Willis being Bruce Willis. Does it's been get, a while. Does he get any of his Expendables friends? In? No, 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 no. Yeah, okay, I, I, we could make some cameos. I guess if we we're on a, a studio somewhere, we could get some. But I haven't really thought of that. But the idea is that it's just a chance to see Bruce being Bruce yeah. in a way that he hasn't been in quite a while. I don't think. Yeah. But yeah. And Mila as well, because she's played a Resident Evil kick-ass all these years, and because she is very method in this. Mm. So she's like, okay, it's the role. Uh, and so she is just methoding it up. Is Gary Oldman still doing his accent? Yes, I'm getting to that. So, <laughs> Chris Tucker and Gary Sorry. Oldman. So, there's a, there's a main duo. The main duo is Bruce and Mila, now being, mm-hmm. you know, the characters that they are, being their typical screen, screen personas. Yeah, yeah. And they're, like, leading the charge. And then Chris Tucker and Gary Oldman are also trapped together. I, I'm guessing they're all kind of in a gang. There's not a separate side, but they're kind of the other duo in this situation that yes. supporting characters. And so then we're going to have some classic kind of opposites attract shenanigans, but mm-hmm. it's a reversal because in this version, Chris Tucker is really buttoned down and, and like serious. And, you know, in the way you might expect Gary Oldman to be in real life and that he's, mm-hmm. you know, he will, he won't swear. He won't be vulgar mm-hmm. and he's very, very, you know, high minded and religious and stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. Gary Oldman is still in full method. He refused, even though the world is ending, he will not break character. <laughs> so he is still full on zany Jamaican Gary Oldman. <laughs> 
<laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, so that's just going to create a lot of comedy. Yeah. Anyway, in the midst of all of this, Jack Black's character is killed. He's killed pretty early on. In, yeah, so our geek dies, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the actors decide to continue filming to honour his memory. So Does he kinda... die in a way that, like, he sees the aliens coming towards him or mm-hmm. whatever, and he's just, like, in awe? Let's say, yeah, yeah, let, let's give him a bit of happiness. Just like, is... Yeah, like, he's died in the, be- in the best... Yeah, this is his dream. He's, yeah. he's actually in a sci-fi movie. So he's like, I'm in a real sci-fi movie, and then he just gets killed straight away. So, yeah. yeah. So he gets killed, but the... the... <gasps> Could he be wearing a red shirt? Yes, he can be a red shirt. There yeah. we go. Absolutely. Absolutely. As in just him wearing a red shirt and it's not mentioned at all. Yeah, yeah. That can be just a little yeah. Easter egg for people like you. Yeah. <laughs> and you. Oh, yeah, okay, fine. Clearly got that reference. Okay, fine. Uh, so, yeah. But they, so they, as I say, the actors then decide to honour his memory. And this is our conceit for continuing the documentary style, the found footage style, is that they take yeah. pick up his like camera phone and are just continuing to film themselves mm-hmm. to honour his memory, but also because... As actors, life only makes sense to them when they're on screen. So they can yeah. only do things if they're filming it, basically. Right. So that's a joke. <clears throat> and so then the rest of the film just is this mix of docudrama comedy mixed with a Cloverfield-style found footage action as the characters do fight their way through the aliens, trying to survive in this, you know... Because the aliens are really just shoot, shoot first, ask questions later kind of aliens. Yeah. And we're not seeing them on screen very much, like, um, initially. So they fight through, get to the props department, get to the stones, and succeed in giving them to the aliens. And at this point, Mila is able to communicate with the aliens through the alien Lili Lulu language because she's <laughs> retained it for all these years and they've yeah. used that as the basis of their own language. Having uh, okay, so, yeah. okay. So she is able to talk to them and negotiate for them to leave the F alone in return for the stones that they think they need to save the world, which, as mm-hmm. we must not forget, are completely useless and will yeah. not save them at all. So the aliens agree. They hand over the stones. But then at the last minute, the aliens kidnap the, the crew. They kidnap Bruce Miller, Chris Tucker and Gary Oldman mm-hmm. because... They just they explain that they they will leave the rest of the world alone, but they're taking these characters against their will. There's no negotiation about it because they think that the characters have the expertise they need to make it work. Also, Mila, Mila is, is the fifth element. Yeah. yeah. So the idea is that the actors thought they'd outsmarted the aliens, but they'd forgotten a key plot point of their own film in that they need Mila, but they've captured them all as well because they feel like they need they want insurance. Mm-hmm. They think right, we're going to take you to our home planet and you're going to use these stones to save the world. Yeah. Which they cannot do. Uh, but this is where the film ends, basically, in that the actors are now forced to remain in character indefinitely, because it, otherwise they'd just be killed on sight. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sets up a nice potential sequel to the sequel, in that, you know, what the hell's going to happen when they get to the alien land and they can't save anything. Okay, yeah. That sequel doesn't need to be made. It could just be an end to the film. But if people want to leave it open, I like an yeah. open-ended end. So that's what happens in mine. Well, that was really good. I don't have any questions on that as well, but no, no I really <laughs> enjoyed that one. Yeah, good work. So, yeah. And we I, did, did I, didn't, I certainly didn't see... Uh, you doing a mockumentary? No. Like before the episode when I said, oh, "Are we going to be doing the same idea?" And yeah, I was like, you you were really nope. worried that we were going to do something. We nope. totally <laughs> took different turns on it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think we both did well this week. I'm pretty. Yeah, it was a good week. Yeah. It was a good week. So it's well, it's your turn next week technically, but I believe we're going off brand again briefly. Uh, briefly, yeah, we're actually having a guest on. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to say off brand because I like to make this more of a, a regular thing. Okay. Having guests. Um, so next week we'll be joined by Ross Burton, who is actually the co-host of another podcast I'm on, Beer Pizza in a Movie. Do you know, I, just, I think Ross is now the first person, including us, to get a surname. I don't think at any point you've told the listeners what our surnames are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to. I just, well, it's on the website if, you, if you're that interested. But, uh, ah, yeah, true. It's funny to me that you introduce them as Ross Burton. Every word, we're just like John and Harry. It's very true. Yeah. So anyway, continue. Um, well, let's aim to just never mention our surnames. No, let's keep an air of mystery around this. Who are yeah. we? You'll never know. Mm. Uh, yeah, so Ross will be joining us next week. And uh, uh, the rule that I've made is that uh, the guest picks the film. 
Makes sense, really. Yeah. And so he has picked the good, the bad, and the ugly. Which I have never seen. Uh, me neither. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's what next week's going to be. Um, do you want to do the sign-off? Uh, yeah, sure. So after Ross has done his episode, we will, unless we get other guests, we will revert back to it. It'll be your turn after that. So yes. get thinking. Uh, but yeah, so if you enjoyed listening to our sequel ideas for The Fifth Element, if you would like to tell us what your ideas for, how would you make a sequel to The Fifth Element? We'd love to know. Mm. Please uh, leave a comment. There'll be a blog post, which you'll read, which you can leave a comment underneath, or you can get in touch with us on Facebook. Uh, Facebook is just search Beyond the Box Set. Twitter, at Beyond the Box Set. Our website is beyondtheboxset.com. Um yeah, and we can, you can also email us at beyondtheboxset at gmail.com. And yeah, let us, know what you, let us know what your pictures for a Fifth Element sequel, remake, or reboot would be. And we'll read the best ones out on a future episode. Yeah, I'd love to hear them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this could be an interesting one. Yeah, certainly. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, uh, it's been a good episode, and uh, we'll see you all next week with uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Looking the forward to it. Yep. <laughs> Bye. Bye.